and welcome to Cinema Files Radio. Welcome to a special episode. It's it's Mother's Day. I think you know now that I don't like to timestamp our, our episodes, but it is Mother's Day today. We have Emmanuel Manzanares here today. We thank him for being on our show on Mother's Day. Let's let's cut this music short and get straight to the nitty gritty, huh? Give him a little clap track here. <laughs> hey, my friend, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Before we get started, yeah, how are you and your family doing right now? Uh, great. Everything's going good. Uh, good Mother's Day so far. Yeah, you, did, did you do anything special for your for your wife? Uh, I just got up and made breakfast for the family, and then my wife's uh, she's doing an online yoga class right now in the meantime. <laughs> she's enjoying herself. <laughs> of course. My friend right now is doing an online uh, Zumba class right now, so I, I think that's that's all the rage. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> online classes, which, you know, which I think are good for most things, you know. But we'll, well they're fan- term. Yeah, they're fantastic for right now. Let, let's see how they work out in the future. Now, did you right. did you meet your wife in Chicago where you were uh, born? I did, yes. You did? Well, where, where did you meet her at? Uh, actually, at my house. That's the first I've ever heard anybody say I met my wife at my house. Right. Well, um, had a, we had a mutual friend at the time. Uh, I just started college. And she was visiting uh, him, and he came over. But because right. we were hanging out, he was like, hey, it'd be cool if I just bring my friend over. And right. Sure. Um, and then we met, and then, you know, we didn't think much of it. It was just very, like, high and by kind of situation. But over time, we became pen pals. She's actually Japanese. She's from Japan. And okay. um, so we would email each other. And, yeah, we just kept in touch, and then, you know. Over the years, here we are. Now oh, you're blessed. Yeah. You are blessed. Yeah, I'm I'm half I'm half Sicilian, half Japanese, so I, I know how okay. how kind of yeah how kind of rural that 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 kind of um, the nationality is. You know, they they mm-hmm. it it's a little touchy when it comes to uh, relationships and what have you. But uh, everything worked out just fine, huh? Yeah, you know, everything's been good, and um, my in-laws are great, and. You know, we try to visit them as much as we can. They both live in Japan because they're both doctors. Um, right. So, you know, obviously we were hoping to go this year, but since everything right. is happening. Yeah. Um, well, they're 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 being. Good, you know. Yeah, they're doing very good over there. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, otherwise everything has been you know good, and I have been really lucky because she's she's been there uh, since before pretty much when I started kind of going right. on this path that I've been going to, you know, she's pushed me to do quite a lot of leaps of faith every now and then. Right. Which is good. So I have a lot of faith for her. Well, how, how does her family feel about you being in the field that you are, which is stunt coordination, stunt, stunt workmanship and what have you? Um, I think my mother-in-law is now more open to it because I'm obviously yeah. having a more stable Stable-ish income, uh, right? 
Right. Um, my father-in-law, I think from the beginning, he wanted, he has his own clinic in Japan. He's there from, um, right. in between the region of Osaka and Kobe, so it's Western Japan. Yes. Um, yeah. They, uh, he has a clinic there, but he, he's pretty much a self-made man. Like he went through, um, you know, the medical field, he went through the States to study at Stanford and then he came back to Japan. You know, he worked at a hospital that eventually, you know, he has his own clinic. He completely runs in downtown Osaka. And, um, you know, he understands, I guess, from the terms of being passionate about something you want to do. Sure. And kind of going about it on your own terms. Um, yeah. Because he had a family business and he, you know, went to uh, try to be a different kind of doctor. That was even at that time, even though he's still in a medical field, that was shunned upon because he right. didn't do the family business. So right. he got a lot of flack uh, from his family members and things like that. But so I guess that what was cool was, you know, I was very, of course, reluctant to admit, especially at that time, I really wasn't, I wasn't even, uh, you know, SAG or anything like that, nothing to really show for anything. But he was just like, hey, you sound really passionate about what you want to do. So as long as, you know, as long as you keep going for it, that's all right. you really have, you know? So I thought that was right. really nice of him, and and since then it's been it's been good, you know. That's in, that's very sweet of him. How, how many children do you have? Uh, just one child. Oh, one child. Nice. Yeah, are you are you happy? Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. A lot of people a lot of people would say uh you know I don't know I'm, you know a lot of people would be conflicted but. Uh, you know, I think most people would say yes, I, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's like I'm always a big purveyor of, you know, if you're unhappy in something, uh, why did you get there? You know, right. Why are you there? Why'd you, even, why'd, you, why'd you even do it? Yeah, you know, not, not to say it's not hard, absolutely. It's extremely difficult, especially in our field, to raise any kind of family. You know, you know, you you made a you made a comment of like, why wouldn't I be? But, you know, I I, I, I made several comments because I've been on the baby hunt for a long time. I've been wanting to have Mm -hmm. children for such a long time. And and I I would talk to parents and what have you. But like, oh, you have such a beautiful family. And and I'd have fathers go like, do you want a couple of them? You you want a couple of mine? And they make little like Mm -hmm. weird jokes to me. About how like giving up their, you know what I mean? About giving up their, you've heard it before. About giving up their kids, and it's not as it's not as great as it it, it seems to be. And now I I always be offended by it because I'm like, you know, I'm working extremely hard to be a father, and you have it what seemingly is so easy. And uh, the only thing I want are the only thing I want is a family. The only thing I want are, are children. So when you say something like, "Why wouldn't I be?" It, it, you know, it's one of those things that reminds me of how many people have been downtrodden about their experiences as well. And I'm like, why would you even put it down, man? I mean, isn't it a blessing? Isn't it just a blessing to have yeah, a family? It is, you know, but I think on the other spectrum, like I can see where they're coming from because um, being a child of a single mother and also being now, you know, having my own family, it's right. like, especially in the field that we do, it's just circumstantial. It doesn't matter how sure. good your marriage is. It doesn't matter how great the relationship you have with children. It's a child. They're not gonna. They're not a pet. You know, they are a person. Right. They're trying to figure out themselves. You right. have to have the utmost patience of all kinds. 
you know, right. as much as you have to, of course, you would understand being a martial arts teacher, I'm sure, yeah. you know, just even teaching children. It's like, it's, yeah. it's not a hassle. It's just, it's difficult because the consistency of making that one person, you know, try to get through whatever challenges they're going through that they can barely comprehend whatever right. they're at. Um, right. And then it just brings that in perspective of, you know, watching my mother grow up and, and do that. Because right. it's like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of times where I was, you know, a child or a teenager, and I'm like, ugh, well, you know, <laughs> we all get that way, right? We're like, ugh, why, right. why is our parents worrying about that? Now that right. I'm a parent, and of course, I've heard my mom tell me this a bunch of times, like, watch when you have a kid. And I'm right. like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then sure, right. here, I have a kid. And I'm like, well, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but yeah, sometimes I do, because it's hard. It's, yeah. it's hard. But I think it's having the perspective and everybody's different. I don't want to knock any father or mother by any means. Everybody's different. Sure. I'm just saying. Um, it's, compl- it's complicated. Yeah, but it just takes the perspective sometimes to understand that it's okay to complain about it, I think. Sure. Because, you know, it's, it's a responsibility. And even if you accept the responsibility and you want to do that journey, I think it is still okay to go. It's, it's fucking hard. It's not easy. Right. And, right. and then – you know, now what? Right. Because you can't complain forever. I agree with that too. You can't just knock the family forever, you know? Right. Because again, it's circumstantial. It's like, who knows what anybody's going through? My whole take on it is just, um, you know, it's, yeah, of course it's hard, but yeah, at the end of it, it's not like I put any uh, blame or I put anything on it because yes, I, I agreed to take this journey with my wife. I agree to also do the jobs that I do. In order to balance both, I agree to take on that task. Right. Okay? It doesn't always go the way I want to, and I have to accept that. Sometimes I don't, but I have right. to remember that, oh, right, I chose this path, so I can't complain too much, you know? Right. You know, lo- looking uh, back at your past, you know, we, we've mentioned before, and we've talked before, we, we, we've had an interview before, we're going to match these two together, but, you know, you. you 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 were ha- having a single mother growing up. Would you call yourself a latchkey child? Yeah, I think we were talking about that last time. Yeah. 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 So so you know you you grew up kind of a latchkey child. You know you you kind of had to build your own self esteem, your your own kind of life going on there. What was it that drove you towards acting and stunt choreography? Now, was a stunt choreography that kind of got your your will going, or was it acting that that kind of your will going? Um, yeah, I guess it would be the you know, the stunts, the martial arts aspect of it. You know, like yeah. the idea of being an action star, but not to be like uh, at least in my case, the most famous person ever. It's just like you know, growing up Latino, there's there's not many very um, Latin action stars in that sense. No. Not that there's not at all. It's just in that sense specifically, like martial arts-wise. Blue Diamond um, Phillips and what have you. You know, I mean, yeah. she's probably the only one I can think of that kind of, you yeah, know... Of course, was... there's, there's definitely Latin actors that yeah. have taken action roles, which definitely yeah. I, I completely um, respect and agree with, but specifically martial arts. You know, like, no yeah. one like Bruce, no one like Jackie or anything like that. Even like a Leslie... Or any of, you, know, um, you, you know, that is weird, you know, considering that, you know, there is a lot of, of martial arts going on in like Mexico and in the South America and mm-hmm. Spain and what have you. I'm shocked that there's not more 
martial art um, competitors out there as far as film goes. Yeah, I don't, you know, I think, I guess to their credit, I feel like a lot of Latin actors tend to gravitate. I mean, you know, look at Antonio Banderas, for example. He's a very athletic right. actor. He can do right. action, but he can also do any other kind of genre, you know, from comedy to drama to horror. Right. You know, so it's like, I think they predicate themselves, at least that I've seen, on the versatility of what they have right. to offer. You ever uh, seen the movie Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down before? Yes, that's a great movie. Yeah, that's yeah. a brilliant movie, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, it, you know, to see that uh, when I was younger, and now especially being older, I'm like, well, I can appreciate that much more now, like why they weren't necessarily stuck either. Right. You know, like I get the whole notion why Jackie doesn't want to be stuck forever being a martial arts star. You know, right. Because he has. He's done so much. You know. But um, yeah. You know, I, going back to your question with uh, being a latchkey kid, I think I was I was very lucky, at least in my sense, because right. I had to live directly with my family, and even mm-hmm. though everybody worked, it's not like I was alone all the time. But they were very right. adamant about um, building my own self-esteem. In the sense sure. of like allowing me to to think big and think large and you know to pursue whatever I wanted, but they taught me early the lesson of you know if you're going to pursue whatever you want, you have to also inevitably face the obstacles that come. And right. If you're going to um, hit walls, that's okay. But right. You can't hit a wall and then walk away from the situation. You know you have to face it in some degree. Sure. Because sure. that's how life's going to be in general, right? Like you're going to meet confrontations that you can't avoid, and you can't run away from them forever. But at the same time, it's not that you should always be so aggressive in facing them. It's just you have to literally face them, and then assess right. the situation from there. Um, so I was very lucky to have, you know, my family teach me that concept early in my life. Right. Um, to just understand that, it you know, it's okay to accept your circumstances. Sure. What are you then going to do to get beyond them? You know, it doesn't mean the quick fix. It's just what are you going to do to in, enforce the steps to, to find a better positive outlook, you know, or situation for yourself. Right. So, how, did, how, did your, how did your mother feel about the circumstances of your life right now, of you, you know, having a Japanese wife and having your child right now? Is she, she extremely happy or, or is she bursting by the head? But your life yeah. as well. Totally, really happy. You know, she yeah. she's worked really hard for me, and yeah. I have two younger brothers um, that she had later, and she worked really hard for them. And uh, I think just from you know, I have a close relationship sure. with my mother, and just always talking with her, it's like she, I think, is happy to see that not only I've I pursued what I wanted to pursue, but you know, I, I've gotten to a place where yeah, it's allowed me to be financially successful to at least have opportunities, um, you know, that are consistent with the, the work that I output. And at that end, it's like, well, you know, at this point, it's, it's whatever I choose, right? And in right. some degree, that's true. It's like, it's kind of the sky's the limit. As long as I'm not a giant asshole, hopefully, you know, <laughs> then <laughs> I can keep working as time goes right. on, you know, and keep learning. And it doesn't necessarily mean I have to work on the biggest movies ever. It's just the luxury of being able to do what I what I do. Um, does, does, does it seem like leaps and bounds from where she came from? Does she ever told you something like that? 
Um, yes and no, but it's also different. You know, my my mother's a very self-made woman. She uh, yeah. she had to put herself through high school and college on her own. You know, and then yikes. Um, you know, she, she that's like my mother. Jobs forever. Yeah. Yeah, and and then my mother's a a grade school teacher, but she can teach all the way up to high school. But um, she opted to stay in elementary school, and she's been teaching now for almost twenty years. But, right. You know, she was going for a different degree in college for a little bit, I believe, like an art design degree. Then she dropped out because it wasn't for her. Right. You know, she really loves art, but it just wasn't for her, and she didn't know what hmm. to do. And finally, she decided to do education, and she pursued that. She has a master's in it, and you know, now she's been teaching for almost two decades. Right. And again, I think it takes a, a special kind of person to, you know, being so young and then pushing themselves to, to do that because it's not like she really had financial support from her parents. It's not like they threw her out. It's just they went, right. you know, you got yourself in a situation. We're here to give you a roof over your head, but you need to now take control of your life because now you don't have a child. Right. You know, you right. have a child. So when she so when she was pregnant and she was ready to go, and there was no father around, so, so they, they they basically said you got yourself in your situation you got into. We're going to give you a minimal amount of recovery. Yeah, I mean yes and no. It's like look, it's family, right? It's like they're not going to right. They're not going to throw her out. You know, she was right. young and she, and she made a a mistake in the sense of being young. You know, she just wasn't playing it safe, but. They also had to teach her reality. They're like, well, we're not going to support right. you completely. You have to understand that the decision you made is, is far beyond what's literally about happening. You know, you know what's interesting is, is, is that, that's something I've noticed in, you know, in Cavacho. I, I don't know if you know the word Cavacho, but in, in Cavacho like, societies where they just kick that kid right out. Like that kid is out of here, you know, and they got to live on their own. But it, it's it's very nice to know that you know our old societies, our, our our way of living, our way of living still continues on, where we don't give rid of family, we we include them, and we might punish them like intellectually and what have you, but it's not like we just give up on them. Yeah, it's it's just how I think, and again, it's I don't I wouldn't say it's exclusive to a certain culture. I just think it depends right. on the people. And where they come from, because right. you know I've seen this in, in every kind of culture, regardless. Oh, the Japanese do the same damn thing. You know, it's like it, it's everyone, anyone. But I think again, it goes. You can always go against the grain if if you choose to to accept, you know, the responsibility. Right. Because right? that's the other thing. It's one thing if my grandparents told my mom what they said, and then they just didn't want to help her when she needed help. It's not that right. they don't want to help her, but right, they're trying to teach her. You need to understand how to help yourself because at a certain right. point, we are not going to be there as how we are now, which is also right. Different. That must have been ingrained in your mother. You know, when you when you first came and told her that you wanted to be an actor or a, a stunt choreographer or what have you, you know, what what was her first response? Was it was it delight or was it was it fear? Um. I'm pretty sure uncertainty, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I I put myself through school, and then I was going to college, and and then I, you know, I said, yeah, I wanna I wanna you know go into a theater program, 
She kind of right. didn't know what to think about. You know, she thought I was going to be a some kind of scientist or, I don't know, a lawyer or something because I like to read a right. lot and I like to research things. And, um, and I do enjoy, you know, researching and reading about animals. So she thought I was going to be some kind of biologist or things like that. And then the last thing she probably expected was, oh, yeah, I want to not only go into a theater program, I also want to learn how to be a stuntman. Right. So she's like, what, what are you saying to me? You know? Right. Um, but again, it's, it's not like they kicked me out or shunned me out or any of that. Sure. They didn't understand it, but you know, I think they, they thought, um, Oh, it's probably a phase. You're going to go through right. the first year or two and then you'll figure it out. And the last two, three years, you'll, you'll pick, you know, the major right. you really want to do. Right. And, but I but, didn't, you know, what, well, you're the eldest brother, and you have two younger brothers. You know, what what was their response to to your field um, and to, to where you wanted to go? Well, they're much younger than me, but you yeah, know, I think now they've only seen more of the successes. You know, right? Because right. They, they were so young when I was first starting, so they they didn't really have a a recollection of any of that. And then I moved out sure. in my early mid twenties. Um, you know, I was still come over all the time because they're obviously in Chicago, but right. yeah, they, they didn't really grow up with me beyond uh, toddler years. You know what I mean? Right. I wasn't right. in the house consistently. Um, right. But at the same time, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no disconnection. I think now that sure. they're seeing what I've done, they think it's cool and they're definitely supportive in their own way too. And I think it's allowed them to express at least what they want to do in their lives. You know, right. that I went out and did something um, on my own. Right. They probably want to express and, and do what they want to do, which I also think is great. So it, it's inspired them to want to be self-reliant and move on with their with their own dreams and do their own thing. Totally. And just understanding that if they want to do that, you know, what are the steps to take for it? And then understanding, well, things don't go their way, it doesn't mean you have to quit, but what are you going to do about it? You know, how right. are you going to continue and, and keep assessing the situation? Um, right. So, yeah, it's the perseverance of it. You know, that's, that's wonderful. How, how long did it take for you when you moved to Los Angeles until you, until you reconnected with your wife, then girlfriend? Um, well, when I, I moved, uh, she moved with me. You know, like I, we moved together. So basically, we got married in 2011, and then after that, I got the calls from like 8711 and things like that. Um, yeah. We both moved in 2013. So, so you've been married nine years. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then yeah, after literally after the run of Divergent that we finished in July, pretty much that first week of August, we moved to LA. And then we set up shop there, and then we were there ever since till last July. We just moved back, you know. So, so, yeah, so di- we divergent is always is always going to be like the stamp of like your marriage and what have you of when it happened. Yeah, and, I mean, in a way, it's like I, I would say the the first real stamp, you know, was was us moving together in like twenty ten, right. and then you know getting a call from. Chad Stahelski in like 2012 and then uh, or 2011 I mean pretty much yeah uh, no 2012 I'm sorry and then yeah so you're literally the year after um, doing Divergent 
you know, doing like the right. big run of ever. Right. And then having enough. Huge, huge, huge film. Huge film. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's true. It's always ingrained in, in that way. But um, yeah, she's, you know, she's been there through it all, through all the, the ups and downs and everything in between. So Yeah. Yeah. Did she ever have a a moment of, you know, the, the, you know, if this fails, what else are you going to do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Many, many times over, you know, but understandably. Yeah. And I think yeah, many of course. times where she um, brought me out of that dreamer brink, you know what I mean? When you're just too stuck in your ways and too like, no, it's got to be like this and, and it'll work itself out. And I think at that time I had more of a gut reaction to it, but, you know, thinking about it now, it, it, it was less like, what are you going to do if this fails? It was more like, do you even have a backup plan <laughs> you know, right. like, of any kind? Because, did you, did you have a backup plan? You know, I, I didn't originally. No, I didn't. And, um, I didn't want to admit it, but, yeah. you know, eventually, yeah, I, I had some kind of, plan to either potentially uh, go back to school for a little bit or, or figure out a work situation um, right. in, in retail of some kind, because I get it. It's just, it's just good to have the option just in case, because we had to be it's realistic. All, yeah. You know? It's based on, it's based on fear. And I understand, I understand it completely. How, how old is your child right now? Um, about like, I don't really talk about my family too much openly. That's just the thing yeah. between my wife and I, you know, we like, to yeah family like private because I'm in sure. the industry that I'm in. Um, yeah. I will just say they're, they're young. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, so yeah. you, you worked, you worked very hard on, on building a family, building a career, talk, talking to people and, and creating an atmosphere that you can work on. Um, what was, what was something, what was a film that you worked on that kind of broke through that atmosphere for you? In terms of um, that made you feel uh, successful. But yeah, probably Divergent was was the one. I'd never, I'd never been on a run of any kind. The most I've ever worked is maybe a day or two, if even, you know, at the time. Right. And to work on, I mean, even when I did my first job for eighty seven eleven uh, through Chad Stahelski, you know, working on rehearsing for two weeks and then shooting for like two or three days was again, even the most I've ever worked on at that time. So yeah. to work on a movie for six months, you know, from beginning to end, I'd never experienced that. I'd never understood what that really meant. You know, I've thought about it. I'm like, Oh, that'd be a nice one day thing to do, but it just happened all of a sudden, you know, it happened faster right. than I, I really realized it. And then just the gravity of, everything involved and all that I was thrust into. Um, and then again, just, you know, making consistent money for weeks on end and making more money than I've ever seen in my life, you know, um, right. was just kind of like, Oh, well, I, not that I thought it would be that way forever, but it was, it was definitely, you know, it was shocking because sure. I've never experienced what that kind of money was to actually, you know, have money to um, pay my bills on time to pay off, student loans, you know, to move, like, I, I did a bunch of these things after that job, because it allowed me some financial stability to a degree. Um, so that's when it really hit me, you know, at that point. 
Right. Uh, well, you had you had Creed coming up, you know, and Creed was one of those films that, you know, it, it could have gone really bad, really fast. I mean, it was not a guarantee that film, and you you did previs for that film. Did you feel like that film could have been something great when you first were working on it? Um, yeah, I mean, just from even reading that opening scene and seeing. Um, you know, the storyboards and things like that, like, I think you can tell when at least a film is going to be good, you know? It's really hard right. to say uh, if you know it's going to be great, but I think you know at the least know that people are going to enjoy it and it's going to be good. Um, right. So definitely just being on, on something like that. And, you know, that's the thing, too, with our industry is, like, especially in our field with stunt performing, um, not everybody does a run, right? Not everybody is on for months on end on a job sometimes we're we come in and out like independent contractors you know we may come in and, and just do one specialization of something maybe work a day or two and you know sure we make a credit on the film it's on our imdb but i've noticed that too is sometimes people are like oh so you worked for x amount of time on this film I'm like no right not always you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's just how it is but, but that's like for our field um, it's kind of like, again, like construction, like the more jobs you pick up consistently, the more you're able right. to allow yourself stability because right. doing the runs, being on months on jobs consistently, that's actually the hardest part because then right. eventually, you know, you're like a department head or you're a second of department head constantly working for long periods of time. And to maintain that um, consistently is extremely difficult. Because uh, that ebbs and flows in its own way. You know, like I would say only in the past two years that I've, I've experienced that personally. Because right. Urgent was the first run I did, but then every other job in between, I mean, yeah, for, for many years it was, you know, at most um, a month or two, which would be great. But in reality, it was more like a week or two, a day or two here and there, and I just had to constantly stack my chips whenever I could, because otherwise there would be months of stretches where there was nothing, you know? And right. I had to take that into account. Um, right. But yeah, it's, again, like with any of the movies that I've been happy to be a part of, um, I think it's just a matter, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's just a matter of you, I think you'll know when it's going to be good, but it's hard to know when it's great you know, sometimes, like I was on Logan, I didn't know that movie was going to be great because hmm. things change in flux so many times and sometimes you're just so uh, stuck trying to solve every possible obstacle, you know, to make sure that the movie keeps flowing and, and the train keeps running. So you kind of right. lose, you know, you get tunnel vision, you get you lose sight of the big picture sometimes because you're just working in your specialty. Right. And when you see it all up there, you're like, oh, that's what it is. You know, that's what it looks like. Sure. Um, so that's what's cool, too, is like seeing the final product at the end of the day. What brought you, what brought you into mocap? Because mocap is one of those things where it's very difficult to see what your features are going to be, what's going to happen mm -hmm. with this project from, from very early on. You're, it's really like the, the, maybe the Star Wars prequels where you're in front of green screen, you're acting in front of like a ball you really don't know what it's going to look like. What was that like first starting off in that field? Uh, well, when I first did my mocap job, I was still in, 
I was just finishing college, I think. Mm. I was doing like mocap around the city in, in Chicago. Uh, you know, we have studios like NetherRealm Studios, the guys who make the Mortal Kombat games. Since That's before. right. And um, there's a couple of little, little independent shops that are there, but, you know, they have systems where they need people to just do like animation libraries, you know, come in and do a couple of sequences. They save it in their library to use for later. And then obviously if you build a rapport with them, uh, they'll bring you back for certain games, you know, because the local some people at the time were so busy doing film and TV that they didn't really do so much mocap, you know, because they also didn't really understand it too much at the time. And I don't think they also needed to really do that. You know, they're working consistently uh, on the films that they're doing locally. But, yeah, I remember doing mocap um, around, like, let's say 2007, 2008. And then I think what helped me is having a theater background. It's like, well, now you're understanding. Even though you have no one in front of you, you're automatically imagining everything. You're imagining the blocking. You're imagining um, the A, B, and C of what potentially is happening. You're giving choices because that's what I feel a lot of mocap is. It's like it's on right. you as a performer to to act as well as do the physicality of it. You know, sometimes it is super literal. You know, do the moves, right. or whatever. But sometimes they may want a lead into the move or an outro to the move, so that way it feels like a person. You know, it feels like a personality. Sure. Um, and I think yeah, having the theater background for me, I felt helped me a lot because it would give me at least a hindsight of just, okay, try, you know, try this theme, try this style, try this personality. If they like it, great. If they don't, you know, try a different one. Just constantly try something. Um, And so I I think it's a really cool, you know, piece of technology, and it's definitely evolved so much. I remember when I first started, everybody was still using all the, the balls, like you said, and Right. You know, it was it was just getting to a point where they started having more fluidity in the movements. But now there's parts now where they don't even really need the balls anymore. You know, the suits themselves have the trackers. They have other things where um, the battery pack is in some suits and they don't need the actual cameras. You know what I mean? Like all the data is in the suit itself. It's, it's great now. It's just so advanced with what they can right. do. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's incredible the the amount of work they can do right now. You, you know the fa- the fact that they can capture you the way you did. By the way, you did you did Batman as well. Living in Chicago, you know, having that realm around you. Did you did did you get a sense of like you know it is it is where it should be? Um, you mean like just where I was in my career? Or? Right. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know, like. When I was when I put it basically when I first started out doing like I said divergent and then moving forward with that, you know I think it's true of everyone that kind of hits their first quote unquote big break, right? It's like, right? You know you think you do a run and you're like that's it I've made it, right? You get you get a big spot of some kind and you're like I made it. It's like well yes now you've entered the door, but you're you haven't made it, you know now you have to right. the real test starts. The first test is getting into the door. The real test is going to different rooms and not getting kicked out. You know, it's like that's the real test is is allowing yourself um, the variety that you can work with. Or if you're going to work in your one specialty, you know, the the depth and the precision 
needed to evolve in that one specialty if you're going to be the best at it. So right. early on, I think I was, you know, discouraged initially. I think as many are when they first start out is, you know, they take a break and then they think, okay, well, now I can use this to get more jobs. And it's like, we can, but you have to almost start over again, right? Every right. new step is starting over. Even being a fight coordinator right now, you know, designing fights or helping design action, I'm very new to the game. Right. Even though I've been doing it for a little while, specifically fight scenes, but compared to many of my peers, I'm very new. And that's, again, nothing against me or them. It's just they're there because they also were me 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Like now they're at a higher position because sure. they put in their time. And that's sure. just what it is. It's just time and place. So being right. able to do something um, like Batman, I think, was super cool because I love the character. And right. uh, working with my partner, Vlad Rimberg, on that, you know, because we both co-coordinated that. Um, sure. We both grew up, again, like watching the Batman animated series and reading DC Comics and, you know, having toys and things like that. So it's like right. it would be like doing Spider-Man or Superman or anything like that. To do an IP of that kind to any degree is great. And regardless right. of how the game mm, turned out completely, Right. You know, it's not like one of the Arkham games, but that's also what's nice is because it's not, it wasn't such a big budget game. It felt very like the little guys were doing this little game, even though we had a big property. We kind of had free reign to, to, you know, bend the rules a little bit for ourselves. Um, right. Which was also cool. So, right. I think that's, that's the bigger win, I guess. Is like well, for our, to play with that. For our audience listening right now, we have 4,200 people listening right now. Thank you so much for listening to us right now. We have Emmanuel. You know, I, I know you guys have listened to him before. We're bringing him on today. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, pre-record this and put this on uh, the channel. Um, Emmanuel, I, you know, I, I've got to say forthright, you know, I, I do apologize for bringing you on a second time. You don't sound very happy to be on the air a second time. You know, I, I brought you on and I begged, I begged you to, to come on a second time. And it was very difficult for you to find the time. And you sound a little pissed off. Um, but, yeah, you know, you know, but, but I do, I do. I do apologize for, 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 you know, wanting a second turn with you. I, I didn't feel like the first interview did you justice. And I really, I really wanted to have everybody understand you the way I, I felt like I understood you. And I didn't feel like the first interview kind of did that. So, you know, I really wanted to bring you up, but I appreciate everybody here for listening in on us. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're an amazing human being. You've got an amazing career going for you right now. Um, you know, you worked with, uh, let's just say Garrett Warren. Now, what was the first film you worked with, with Garrett Warren with? Uh, that would be Divergent was the first film that I did. Wow. That's a long time ago. Yeah. It does feel like a long time ago now. That was a long time ago. But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, first off, I, I want to say, um, uh, sorry if I sound mad at all. I'm really not at all. I'm actually, yeah. I, I want to say I'm very thankful for, for being on and I appreciate your time asking me to come back yeah. on. If I probably sound a little tense, it's because it's Mother's Day and my wife is yeah. okay with this, but you know what I mean. I think yes. I'm like, 
please, please <laughs> tell her it's my fault and to, and to contact me and blame me for everything. It's totally my. Yeah, I'm the I'm the one who I'm the one who constantly bothered you. No, it's all good. She was super super gracious and um, you know, to have me have the time, so it's not an issue. I just I'm probably feeling guilt just because it's Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, with Garrett, with Divergent was the first thing that I did. And, you know, since then, um, I helped Garrett out on X-Men Apocalypse. And then yes. Logan, obviously. Um, and each time, you know, because Garrett is such a high-level stunt coordinator and second year director, you know, he's one of the types that, I would say he's less a coordinator and more of an action director. And what I mean by that right. is he, he's not just there to make sure everybody's safe and do the literal aspect of coordinating, you know, and he doesn't take a lot, he doesn't take a lot of crap either. No, but it, it's like, look at the clientele that he's worked with. You know, he's worked yeah. with everybody from Cameron to Spielberg to Jackson, right. to Zemeckis, you know, it's like the caliber of directors that he's worked for speaks for itself. You know, the caliber right. of films that he's done, um, speaks for itself, and I think to be able to work with someone like that at the beginning, work with other people, and then work with him again, and then work with other people, you know, has definitely shaped me um, to see, like, okay, these are tools and things that I need to, you know, maintain or to learn or understand, like with right. him in visual effects, for example. He, he knows so much about visual effects working right. on such heavy visual effects films, but what's great about him is he also knows so much about practical special effects and how right. to implement the practicality and the realism in visual effects. So it, it still feels like a magic trick. You know, it's not like, oh, it's a computer obviously supplementing this. It's like well, how much of that was a computer or is that a computer at all? You know, right. like, I think that's what's great about the design that he does. Um and there's been another other bunch of coordinators that, you know, I've worked for. Chad Sahelski is another one that's like that. J.J. Perry is another one that's like that. Oh, he's um, great, yeah. They, you know, they know and understand both ends of that spectrum. Um, right. But, yeah, it's like, uh, I, again, I, I was really lucky to have someone like that. He, it's kind of like Garrett's the, the teacher that's really hard on you. And right. maybe initially you're like, oh, why is this guy so hard on me? But then I feel, at least in my end, you, you learn so much from that kind of tough love, you know? Right. Because you you understand what you don't understand in the end. Right. Like, right. I reflected a lot after all the times I worked with him, and I really learned a lot thanks to him. So, And, and he gave me – him and J.J. Perry gave me my first big break after Chad, so I have nothing but thanks for them. Well, J.J. Perry is, is excellent. And, you know, the, the funny thing about Garrett is he understands a lot of the old school yeah. action heroes and, and action films, you know, and, and rough and tumble people who really gave their body for films and what have you. And he, and he knows, I mean, he's a, he's a self-proclaimed cinephile. He knows those Absolutely. movies. Yes. Yes, that yes. That really moved you. I don't know if you heard our interview together, but... You know, it, it was very interesting to listen to his knowledge of, of filmmaking. And, and we just started continually talking about, I mean, I could have talked to him for five hours about all the movies he knew about and all the things that he, that he wanted to do, all the things he wanted to accomplish. It was great. 
But, you know, I, I see that. I see that in you as well, because you have a very similar track record. You're a different personality, but you have a very similar track record going on there. When you worked on Logan, how did you feel? Because you worked with, uh, you know, Tekla and you worked with, with, uh, with, with a, lot of the, a lot of the great uh, stunt performers that we know of. What was it like working with them in like previs and then also in action? Uh, it was great. We had a fantastic team on that show. And to be around such experienced stunt performers and stunt doubles, you know, from Daniel Stevens, who doubles you generally, you know, Eddie Davenport as well has been in the game right. for a while. Another um, stunt performer, Anthony Nanda Kornpanome, uh, mm-hmm. and then our riggers, Kurt Lott and, and Core Walker. It's like all these guys yeah. that have had all these years on that, you know, consistently. Right. And then everybody that Garrett brought in, were like the best of the best for what they do, you know, whether it was cars or fighting, right? Or general NG stunts. So it's like to see the wire work. work, absolutely. So, yeah, to see that like old guard mixed with newer guard, right? Like Marissa's been in the game uh, for a while as well, longer than me. Marissa, La- Marissa Labog, yes, right, you know, but to have people like um, myself and Steve Brown and Michael Lair and Tyler. Uh, and Rissa Kalar, who are uh, younger in the game or just starting yeah. out, you know, it's like to have that entire mixture, I think was, was great. Yeah. It was a, yeah. for me, it was a fantastic experience to be around people like that because every day was right. a big learning lesson and the team was definitely there for everybody because it was a, it was a hard movie for sure. You know, everybody got yeah. kicked in some way or form. Um, right. Yes. But I think, yeah, in the end, I think, like I said before, it, it shows in the final product. It shows in the film. Did you ever feel at a time that that you were not ready for that experience? Whether you told anybody that or not, did you feel at any time that you were not ready for that experience or that you were afraid? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I think there are plenty of times in every film I've worked on where it's just mm. like, oh, I think I'm going to get fired today, you know? <laughs> it's like, I think because it's it's normal, right? It's like, I remember, um, what did I, oh, it was at the, the Oscars when Tom Hanks got his award. Yeah. And Tom Hanks talked about, you know, his struggles as an actor. And he made that comment about, um, you know, if, if there's not a day on set where you're not freaking out about something, you know? Right. Then, then it really means that maybe you should reconsider what you're doing. You know, like I think it's healthy to have a little freakout moment here and there because it means you care and it means that you're passionate about whatever you're doing. So especially on Logan, again, being not just being around the Sun team, being around someone like James Mangold who's going to watch the previses that I helped design with Steve. If if James Mangold goes, well, that was shitty. You're like, ugh, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to piss off James Mangold, you know? Let alone do I want to piss off Garrett, right? It's like, right. Because that's the thing with someone like James, and understandably, he's going to be honest. Does it work for him? Yes or no? There's there's no mincing words, you know? And right. either do it again and get it right, or figure it out how to get it right, or right. you don't, you know? Right. And yeah, there's plenty of times where, you know, Garrett would come at us with curveballs left and right to figure things out, you know, on our own. But I think, again, that's a testament to uh, what he brings to the table as a leader. And also it 
right. it challenges you as it should, right? It's like doing a martial arts test. Like you can learn and do all the techniques you want and practice everything you want, but when you get challenged finally, you know, when you when you have to find the application in what you do, it, it, you're testing all your theories at this point. Right. Know? Like there's no talk anymore. It's just action. So, right. yeah, I think there's plenty of times where that's happened. And anyone that says otherwise, a lot of times, I... Or lying. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, e- even as a grandmaster, you know, but people say, do you ever feel fear before you go into a fight? It's like, you always feel mm-hmm. fear. Fear is never excluded. Really? Yeah. Fear is something that's just part of the game. I, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. And the moment you don't feel fear, that's when you get knocked out. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you're taking for granted what you do know, or yeah. you know, you're um, what's the what's the term? You're, gosh, I'm having a tongue twister here. But basically, yeah, you're, okay. yeah, you're not, you know, you're not having the respect, the foresight. To, to, yeah, yeah, exactly. To have the respect for what you're about to deal with, it doesn't matter how right. you get it. Right. Right. Any, any, but a five-year-old can knock you out. You know, you, you know, from your own children, I mean, you've been hit by your own children. I'm pretty sure you have, and you know how powerful a strike is from just a small child. I mean, imagine an adult, they don't know, they don't know any better and they're given full force and what have you. And you're like, Oh my God, I've never had my nose almost broken by anybody, but like by a, a little child, it's almost broken. Imagine a full adult who wants to hurt you. You know, and people people forget that because you know they they don't want to think about the challenge. They don't want to think about losing, and and those are the Mm -hmm. best chances for you to remember that that I need to be my best. I need to be my best at all times. Now, before we continue on, you know, you worked on because I want to talk more about these great people you've worked with, but I want to talk about Destiny Mm -hmm. too because I'm addicted to that game. I play it like a crazy person. Um, you know, the, the raids are my favorite in the planet Earth. I'm about to play it when we get off right now. Uh, tell, <laughs> tell, <laughs> those, those raids are really my fra- favorite. And, and Destiny 1 was really one of my favorites. Please tell me what your experience was like on that game, and what did you do for it? Uh, so I was brought in by Aaron Tony. Um, this was around the same time you were doing... Uh, the little previous for Captain America Civil War, uh, he got hit up by, I believe, Darren Ross, who's like one of the main coordinators that does a lot of stuff for Blur Studios and, you know, a lot of the bigger um, video game market that's out there. But yeah, they're doing a, a trailer for, at the time, the Zavala, uh, Zavala character. And, yeah. you know, they wanted us to design movements for him that would be in-game as well as the cinematics. Right. So we were just kind of given a little bit free reign to come up with some stuff. And then, yeah, we just did a little biz for that. And I just helped um, Aaron fight coordinate that. So I was one of the assistants. And, nice. and that was it. It was like a quick one-day thing that we did for one of the cinematic trailers. And, you know, again, I love working with people like Darren um, who have such a cinematic eye. And they want to see more uh, story and personality out of the character. Because you want the right. characters to be memorable, you know, especially in a video game. It's, of course, the most apparent in film and TV, but especially nowadays in video games, it's like you meet this character like a comic book, right, a one-off. So right. You want them to make an impression. If they don't make an impression, and then on top of that, the, the 
game's not great, you already have, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. So it's like right. you want people to get excited about your, your awesome game. So hopefully you make a, an awesome character. Well, um, that was the moment where Activision was, was, in, was owned by, by Bungie. So Activision really okay. owned Bungie at that time. Uh, was, there, was there any kind of tension that you felt between those two groups at um, all? Because they've, they've since separated. Did you feel any separation between right. those groups? No, I mean, I wasn't really privy to any of that stuff because I just kind of directly right. dealt with uh, Darren and, and then Aaron, you know, just right. in terms of what we did. And Darren's great to work with, so yeah, I, had, I didn't really have any idea until, you know, it kind of, I guess, came out publicly like everybody else did. Right. So. How, did you feel, how do you feel about the finished product? I thought it was super cool. Yeah, they used a lot of yeah. what we did. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't there for on the day because I think I was working on something else um, yeah. when they did the mocap. But they changed some things, but the, I think the trailer as a whole looked awesome. You know? Well, if I may tell you that, you know, it's a, it's a brilliant game. It's wonderfully played. Uh, I can't wait to play it once we get off this interview. I mean, it's not that I don't enjoy this interview, but it, it, I've been waiting to play this game for literally two months because my, my Xbox <laughs> Live has been off and my birthday just, you know, just, just happened. So I have the money yeah. to get back on my Xbox Live so I can play my raids again. I, I just love the raids so much. Such oh. a great game. That's great. Hell yeah. So, so tell me, tell me about Gemini Man because you know when when you talk about these amazing directors, uh, you know you have an amazing director right there that I, I think anybody would kill a human being to work with because he worked on Crouching Tiger, he worked on The Hulk, he worked on uh, you know for, for for our fans out there, Sticky Hands, and you 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 really have to go pick up that movie. It's a really difficult movie mm-hmm. to pick up, but he he worked on yeah, Sticky Hands, yeah. which is which, yeah, which is a great film based on a husband who has a wife who, who the, the father moves in. She doesn't really accept him until, of course, uh, she he teaches her sticky hands. But, of course, he has an ego because he gets into a fight with a p- bunch of people inside of a restaurant and he won't let go. So it shows, uh, it shows an ego in, in there. But Ang Lee is one of those people that are, is just an amazing filmmaker. Did you have time with him? And what was that like? Um, so I only met Ang Lee really, really briefly, I think, at 8711. Okay. Actually, maybe not. I, some, there was a point where everything was kind of a blur. We were constantly doing so many different projects at one point. Sure. Prepping, and, and, and so I kind of forgot. It's like, I don't actually know. I don't think I, I did meet him because I think the day that he was there with JJ, he was designing with a different team. And then we right. Gone. But anyway, um, I had a, had a phone conference with him, and then we had some emails with him. And on Gemini Man, you know, like, because uh, I'm pretty sure Michael Lair talked to you about it. It's like yes, the way that um, Aang really wanted everything, the, the difficulty of it was trying to create this, not necessarily new approach, but, like, how do we create the depth in 3D that wasn't, is there yet with the traditional 3D camera, right? Right, because, right. Because everything, like, you know, for example, a regular, you know, cowboy stacking hook punch doesn't work the same way because then it looks like you're, you're literally punching, you know, a foot away to the left, even though you're punching right in front, right, as you would a regular, let's say, profile stack or over the shoulder. Um, so it's like, how do you then do what we already know 
and evolve that so it adapts to the camera. You know, right. it's difficult. Um, so it's like, and, and I guess what Aang was really trying to go for is how do you get, who's essentially a guy who's like, one, let's say, one of the most perfect weapons ever designed, right? Right. Human. Mm-hmm. But then now that he's learned the errors of his ways, they've given birth to this clone who has all the same aspects, but none of, right. you know, the repercussions. None of the how faults. You, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do you put those two against each other and how would they react to each other? You know, the right. experience versus the new, just as much as, um, you know, who's willing to go there quicker or not, you know? Right. So I thought that was really cool uh, to hear these breakdowns of what he wanted the characters to be. And, and he did. It's like he wanted the Hong Kong style, but not one of the Hong Kong style. Like, you know, the thing about Aang that I realized working with him is mm-hmm. he's much more westernized than you think. You know, yes, he is. Yeah. When we did um, the other movie that I worked for him on, uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which is a yeah. war film or a military film. Great film. He, you know, he told um, JJ and I that interesting trivia. He told JJ and I that Crouching Tiger was not fighting wise was not the movie he wanted to make, and the reason mm. I said that is because he actually wanted something closer to Chambara, right? The very traditional samurai sure. um, action film from Japan because he's like, well, in those books, uh, The Green Destiny and all that, these are supposed to be the, literally the best martial artists in the world. So why would they be right. fighting for 20-something moves like chess? It would right. be. I'm going to do five a move moves. You and you're, you're done. You know, yeah, it'd be five moves, four moves, yeah. Yeah. But, of course, he understood, I think, the, the producers at the time were like, well, I don't know if the Chinese, Chinese audience is ready for that, you know? So right, like, right. He obviously gave the reins over to Wu Ping, and, and, you know, he said it was nothing against Wu Ping, or it's not like he did a terrible job or anything, but he was just like, yeah, I really actually wanted more of this, this way, because that's how it would be. It's like he was so much more about the tension being built, and then the aftermath is so fleeting. Because that's how it would be, realistically. So I thought that was kind of a neat, interesting trivia that he told us. Um, you know, I wonder yeah. what that film would be like if he actually would have done that. You know, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. The, the Wu Ping version, I I admire a great deal, and I I had to justify that to my own students for years and years and years of why he mm-hmm. did that. But the the reality is, between grandmasters, it would be two moves. Uh, if that, if that, I mean, it, you, they probably would just stand there staring at each other for probably like three minutes before anybody would make a move. But I don't know if that would make a, I don't know if that would make a cinematic project. Right. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's one of those, okay. it's one of those what, catch 22s. Like, what do you do? But he's such a brilliant filmmaker. It, it's, uh, you know, I, I was talking to somebody else, you know, I, I think you just mentioned that about Gemini man who worked on it. And uh, I, I was showing a movie in Arizona uh, of mine and they were playing Gemini man. And they asked me like, what do you want to do next? What do you, what do you want to, what do you want to watch? What do you want to do? Do you want to come up to the stand? Do you want to watch other films? And I'm like, I want to watch Gemini man. Like what? I'm, I'm like, I want, I want, <laughs> give me some popcorn and a drink. And I want to go watch Gemini man because I'm here. It, it's open and I want to go see it. So they give me popcorn and a drink and I watch Gemini man. 
I, you know, I, I'll, I, I will watch him flush a toilet because uh, he's a great <laughs> film. He's a great filmmaker and I admire everything that he does. And, and you like even the Hulk, he puts everything into a film, puts all the spirit into a film. Now, as I speak about that, you worked on uh, Iron Fist, which is a really you know, a, a great show that it hit a lot of controversy. You know, they believe that Iron Fist was like the death of the Marvel films on Netflix, which I, I really don't agree with. But the, my first comic books that I, I really kind of ever really kind of owned was uh, was Iron Fist. And he was a, an amazing. Well, it, was, it was actually Power Man and Iron Fist. It was both of them together. Right. It was Power Man and Iron Fist. So I really enjoyed those comic books. What was it like working on that set? And, and did you did you feel that? Did you did you feel the excitement of that film that film being made? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a great time working on that series. The local team that we had in New York and uh, everybody else that we brought in from LA were great. You know, like the stunt team did fantastic. I only did the second season. Uh, Brett Chan did the first season. Second and, season was great. Um, thank you. Yeah, it was it was really cool. It's just making a show like that, like making a Netflix schedule um, for people that don't know, is like making ten independent films in seven months. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. Right. So it's it's like you shoot less than two weeks an episode, and you're prepping three episodes back to back. So. As you're shooting, you're prepping and then prepping again and, you know, rinse and repeat for months on end. Um, and it was a lot of night shoots and it was cold and then wet yeah. and then everything in between because it's New York. Um, right. But, I mean, I, you know. Was uh, the cast happy? The, the were they ready to go? Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they were great. You know, everybody worked their asses off and uh, everybody was really cool. You know, I think it was just, I think I said it before, it's like, at the end of the day, whatever people say or talk about it, you know, I had a great experience. I had a great experience working with everybody. Um, Right. And ultimately, that's my job to help my boss facilitate that, as well as uh, my department or with my co-heads, because we had a lot of, you know, we had three fight coordinators on that, including myself, and then Clay Barber was the stunt coordinator and the second year director. It's like, we had to micromanage all of that stuff because right. if you drop any piece, it's it's done. It's over. You know, it's like playing right. Jenga. Like you have to build it and take it apart, you know, effectively and precisely. Right. You can't just slap, you know, Pollux on it because that's not how it works to do a schedule like that. Did so they ever talk that, to you about? Like, um, did they ever talk to you about like the failures of the first season and how they need to change it up for the second season? Yes, I know, but I think again, at the end of the day, it's like because the second we, season, we, the second yeah. season was really ramped up. The action scenes were yeah. really, really great. Uh, the cinematography was very different. Uh, it was be- it was really beautiful. Now, now, who who was I talking to who played who played the actor with it with the two fists in in the, in the uh, God? I, I, now I'm starting to go get a brain freeze. I did talk to the uh, actor Michael who did. That's yeah, my, that's right. I just had him on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, I, I couldn't, I, I want to see a show based on that. 
That was insane. But yeah. the second season was really fantastic. It was, I mean, it really changed a, a great deal. Yeah, I, I think, you know, all we did is it's good to have levels and changes, right? It's like the way I consider it is um, like how comic books have different author runs. You know what I mean? Like right. authors come in and they do a, a specific run on it and it, it develops a newer style or it refines what was already there or it completely changes the game. But I think that's good to have because then it naturally progresses the character. Um, right. So, you know, I, I felt like Brett did a great job on the first season, but yeah. the second season, what we had to fight against on is reminding them, them being the production side, is right. I, I think you guys could have had a better output if you trusted the team more. You know? Oh, I, yeah, that I makes think sense. That's just what it is. It's like, it, it, look, like Brett Chan went on to do, you know, Warrior. And Warrior yeah. is a show. And has great a show. Passion, so it's like, yeah. it has nothing to do with Brett Chan. You know what I mean? Right, so right. What it tends to do is, because um, we have the same issues, you know, the production. Oh, you're so right. Be like, like, oh, yeah. the schedule or the money or this. It's like, I get it. We all get it. But, right. you know, here's your ABC options. But if you don't pick one, it's going to be very evident and clear how your fans are going to react. You know, like right. it's, it's inevitable, and I think that's true for any property. It, it, that's always the challenge. It's just reminding production that it's not that uh, the stunt team is just looking for a higher paycheck. It's like, right. listen, guys, you're doing an action-based show. At the very least, if you can't amp the action up in quantity, then try to do it in quality. You know what I mean? Right. Like that always right. works. And I feel like, again, that's a testament to um, especially Asian cinema with the Hong Kong guys or any of, you know, Korean cinema or Japanese cinema. It's like sure. all of those budgets are comparatively lower than an American budget, right? Right. What they tend to do is they hire great teams and then they trust those teams. And then on top of that, the teams bring on the right people for the job. And again, right. it's not to say that um, long people are picked. It's just that. I get it. It depends on the actor. It depends on the look. So we have to pick and choose people. But right. sometimes the battle is just making all parties understand why we pick certain choices over others. You know? Right. Um, well, you, yeah. you move you move on from a Mar- Marvel show into a DC show, which was just Titans. And that was really, you know, people were really waiting for that show to come out. And when it came out, people were extremely happy about that. How, how did you feel about working on that show? And how do you feel about the progression of that show so far? I really, I really hope there's a third season, considering the coronavirus and what have you. Yeah, I hope so, too. I know they were doing the third season, and then they had to yeah. shut it down, you know, right. everything. So I, I do hope it gets picked back up. Um, again, it was, a, it was just like working in New York, like great team. Great coordinator, you know, Lauren Stovall was the, the head coordinator on that, and he got to even direct the episode, and, um, you know, it was it was a fun show to be on. I came on the back end of it, so maybe like the last four episodes or so, something like that, um, but it was, it was great. The local Canadian team were fantastic. Um, I think what Larnell set right away was the precedence from the first season to give a precedence on the action. Right. And then by second season, I think they had a little bit tighter schedule. So that's why I was kind of called in to come and give them a little backup um, for the stunt team to help out. 
but yeah, we were able to, to catch up to production schedule and, you know, I felt like we delivered the best action that we could for what was asked of us. Right. And then, you know, anything else beyond that, um, it's just like anything else. It's like, if the, that's how I always feel. If the fans react a certain way, if your product's good, it's going to be good. If it's right. okay, it, it's going to show, you know. Right. There's no really way to cut it. It doesn't matter who your star power is. It doesn't matter who you hire. You can hire the best people, but if you don't give them always the best tools, right. or if, if you don't work with them, I mean, anybody can make McDonald's. If you want right. a prime burger, it takes a special kind of quality to do that, you know? Right. Um, what, what I hear from you is, is that a f- amount of freedom is necessary to make some of the best film. You know, it's always a collaborative compromise, right? It's like even something like Logan and watching, you know, Garrett go through that. Like you said, it's like understanding what's around. And sometimes, you know, you, you try to push choices that again, are just suggestions. They're not, they're not the way. Right. Everyone's trying to collaborate at the same time. And every party is doing that from costumes, you know, to makeup, to uh, visual effects and special effects. Um, writing, yeah, everything. all that exactly. Everyone's yeah. pulling in. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's like I think at the end of the day, like, uh, what was it? I was listening to actually a a live stream with uh, Chad and Dave. I think it was on Collider, and and Chad always talks about this, and I'm glad he talked about it on that live stream. He was saying, you mm. know, on John Wick, compared to other movies, and he's not trying to really knock them, but he's like, the big thing that. Chad and Dave found when they were um, coming up, you know, being some coordinators, second year directors was productions, productions would always cut on prep, right? And they're right. like, no, put all the money up front. Why? Because it's going to pay off on the back end. Now you're not going to be asking for months of reshoots or any of that stuff, right? Like you're only, if you have to do reshoots, it might be two weeks, you know, it might be less than a month or whatever. So you're saving money longer term because you're getting what you get in the can as opposed to cutting prep up front, then on the back end, adding things, adding another two months of reshoots, adding more post-production, you know. And that's why Chad was saying on John Wick, besides training Keanu and besides getting the stunt team obviously involved in all that, he got all the department heads to come in. He got costumes to watch what was happening. He got visual and special effects to watch what was happening, the camera department for weeks to watch what was happening, because he made the great notion of many times over, you show what the fight's going to be on the day, right? Right. Sometimes camera people have never seen anything. If they watch the previs, by this point, that's changed, right? Whatever is the previs generally tends to change, because everyone, again, has their input. But again, these camera people, unless they're so heavily steeped in action, they're looking at these movements for the first time. And do you expect somebody with 80 pounds on their shoulder to follow a five foot nine, 180 pound person going at, right. you know, 75, 85% speed? Um, right. With an actor with doubles. Absolutely. Not, right. You know, and especially if they're not used to action, they might shoot the most amazing imagery. But if they're not used to following action, I mean, you might as well give the camera to a toddler. You know, it's sure. It's what yeah. It is. But in order to mitigate that, if you get those people for weeks to see how the fight progresses, to see what's going to be, not sure. everybody has an understanding to go, ah, okay, 
that's right, at this point, the hero's going to do this. At this point, this, you know, this moment's going to happen. Even if you right. change, let's say, the hand, oh, it's going to happen on the left hand, not the right hand. They all understand, oh, but it's the same moment. Got it. Whatever. So right. like, as opposed to on the day, if you go, oh, now we have to change it from the right hand to the left hand. Like, well, what are you talking about? But, but now, the, you know, everyone starts freaking out. Sure. So I think that's just what it boils down to is getting everybody involved. It's not a us versus them. I think that's a poor mentality to, to maintain. It's like even what Garrett said and, and what I've learned from other great coordinators. You know, don't, don't not involve the other departments. Involve the other departments. You not only right. learn from them, but you also learn their faults in the sense of what they're going and struggling through on their end. So inherently, right. you help each other, you know, and then you can deliver a great product together. Everybody looks good. But if you're so stuck in like, oh, you're ruining my product, you're ruining my team's product, like, well, now you've drawn a line in the sand. Sure. Clearly. And if you wash that sand away, everyone's going to remember you drew that line first. It doesn't right. matter how many times you wash it away. And I think that only just puts a damper on everything. So if you're, if you're right. more of a team player and get everybody communicatively involved, it's like, well, at that point, the sky's the limit. You know, problems right. are going to happen, but everyone can deal with them together because they at least have a sense of what's going on. Right. You know, I appreciate your time today. And, and you know, I, I want to talk about just one last project before we let you go. Sure. But, you know, what is it like to work on a Barry Levinson set? Because he, he is an American icon. Uh, I read the book in, in which the film was made on. Uh, I was mm-hmm. awaiting this film to come out. I, I looked at the casting before it, before it ever hit the board. So I've been waiting for this movie to come out for a very long time. What was it like to work with an American legend? Yeah. I mean, it, he's a, he's a legend. That's it. You know? <laughs> <That's> yeah. <it. laughs> yeah. Just, just being around someone like that is surreal. Absolutely surreal. You know, in a, in a, the most positive way possible. I think, I couldn't have been any luckier to be around a director like that, have an experience like that. You know, that's thanks again to uh, coordinator Clay Barber for bringing myself on and um, Khalid Gaji, the other fight coordinator on, who's a great friend of mine as well. It's like, because uh, Khalid normally doubles for uh, Michael B. Jordan, right? So he was that's right. double on Creed 1 and 2. Khalid yeah. coordinated Creed 2, but he was one of the fight team on Creed 1. So he, he does, a gr- he does great work. Total amazing martial artist. And so, you know, coming onto a film like this, the irony of that is him and I are both very technical. We play together really well in terms of like movement and and themes. But, you know, you have to strip all that away. That's not what it's about. Right. It's a technical boxing match, you know. It's not hockey. It's not greed. No, it's a a thug fest. It's it's really a punch fest. Yeah. Totally. And it's like. Yeah think on the same terms as something like Cinderella Man, but even right. less... That's a good, nice choice of words, by the way. Cinderella Man, because that's how Harry Haft was. He, he was a mm-hmm. beater. He was a beater of man. He was like he the first great white hope. Yeah. Like what? Well, even like, you know, if you look at that film and read about James Braddock, right? Cinderella Man. Yes. James Braddock had technique. Harry he Haft did. did not have technique. No, he did not. He did not have anything. So that's the other end of that spectrum is like, how do you convey the story of a broken man? Right. Essentially thinks he's the best because he has to, 
Because if he he has to, yeah. Spirit, you know, he's he's so guilt ridden with everything else he's done to get to that. Right. So yeah, being around Barry and Ben, it's like working with DeVito and John Leguizamo and Peter Scarsard. It's like, how do you not enjoy being around a what a what a great cast, what a great cast. Wow. And, and you're basically yeah. you're basically working on an actor and making him act without acting, you know, like pretend like you don't know how to act, <laughs> pretend like yeah. you don't know how to fight where he would naturally just by film, just by TV shows, just by nature. He would know how to fight Barry better than Harry Haft, but he would have to yep. dumb it down to play this character. That that's that's insane. And it's like you know, yes and no. It's like what Ben did a lot with his role, which I give him a, a lot of credit for, is the conversations we would have is about well, yes, we know what we would do per se, like you're saying, right? Whether as a martial artist or as a person that has experience doing athletic, you know, feats over time, inherently you're going to have an instinct of some kind, but. If you're dumbing it down literally, it's gonna feel literal, right? Like right, oh, right. This this guy looks like a joke, right? But it's like right. But remember, this person who can't fight doesn't want to fight, right? In the right. past, he's been right. forced to. How do they really react, right? How does that person right. like? They're not gonna come in. I think everyone's first notion is these two people don't know how to fight and have to survive. Rawr, they all just try to rip each other apart. <laughs> that's, also not, that's not true. How many times have you seen No, it's not true. In confrontation, you know, and, and one animal immediately backs away. Doesn't want to do yeah. confrontation. Right. You know, so so but then if let's say that confrontation's over, now you have an outside force going, No, nobody does anything, you're both dead. What's what's the next level of that? You know, mm. like, how do you show that? Because it's easy to just go in swinging, but the hard part is, well, where where does the firecracker finally blow up? You know, how how did show. how did you sh- how did you show that? It's it's really on Ben. I don't really want to give away too much. I just want to yes. Say that, don't don't give away anything. We want people you know, to watch the movie. Yeah, uh, I would just say that I think to show the gravity of each action. Yeah. Is is hopefully the clearest thing that we show. It's much right. less about the choreography. It's much less about Does it does it remind you a lot of, of like Rocky One? Does that remind you a little bit of Rocky One where he's not, not he's that. no? Uh, it's not even that. Little, like, little less. Uh I'm even trying to think how it how it would be. It's almost like, you know, when you watch um a Scorsese film and, and the violence just happens. Right. Yeah. It's very right. And, and it's almost you're not just sure, violent. Should you be cheering for this? Should you be rooting right. for the character sometimes? You know? Right. Oh, yeah, because there's that's the point, right? It's like we're not trying to right. by the violence. We're also not trying to dumb it down. But at the same right. time, it's not pretty. It's right. not a pretty situation. It's not a pretty piece in history. Even when he becomes a professional fighter, the amateur, it's still not pretty. You know, here's a guy who in his head thinks that, oh, if I take all the hits, I'm going to win. Which is, if you think about that in literal sports now, the boxer just took every single face hit, hoping to get the lucky strike. You would just consider them almost borderline insane. It's like, why would you do right. that? Right, right. But that's all he knew. 
of how to survive. So right. I think that's hopefully what we showed really well in, in everything. And, I mean, again, hats off to Ben for not only just wanting to take that plunge, but just diving in, you know, and, and to Barry especially for for always just making sure everything was about the theme of what's happening. You know, it's much less right. about the action. And I think that's that's probably the biggest thing I'll take away from working on a film like that and with a director like that is like, it's so much more, you know, and to watch someone like Barry um, direct in that way. Yeah. That's a, that's something I'll take to the grave. Did, did, did you feel satisfied when you were done with that film? Did you feel a sense of satisfaction? I did. Yeah, I really did. It was also yeah. a hard movie to do because it was more independent. So, you know, we kind of had to, to do it run and gun, but again, everybody understood the kind of movie we're trying to make. Everybody worked their asses off. And regardless of how, I guess, I'm not even thinking about how people feel about the action. I just hope that people get what they get out of the story, you know, and whatever action does end up in the final cut shows that, you know, exemplifies those story points. Right. I think for me, that's what, that's what's more important. You know, it's not a, right. it's not Fast Nine. Fast Nine is great. It's a popcorn movie. Awesome, you know, like, <laughs> right. Like it's right. gonna be big and 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 silly and ridiculous, and that's okay. Right. That's the right. movie. But Harry Haft is literally the other end of the spectrum. There's no comparison. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna be more about characters and and how they're done and and how they're working out. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you you are, you know, in a sense, a Cinderella man yourself. Uh, of stunt choreography and stunt working and, and working in general, looking at your life with, with how you grew up with your mother and how you grew up with your, your family and with your wife and, and all the things that you've gone through to be, to become the person you are is extraordinary. And we're, you know, not that we are anybody to be proud of you, but we are extremely proud of you and very happy for your success uh, tell us, you know, what are you looking forward for in, in your future? Uh, just to, to keep doing what I'm doing now, you know. Uh, I have been very lucky, and it, and you know, even my mother has told me, and other people obviously have told me that yes, it's because I put in the time and the hard work, and of course, mm-hmm. I'm not going to disagree. But I think at the right. end, it's like, well, it's. You know, it's the perspective, again, that I talked about before and the last time we talked is if we get too comfortable, you know, this can go away. It's so fleeting, this industry. It's so fleeting, this right. type. And even if I have all my ducks in a row, it can still go away. You know, we just never really know. And at right. the end of the day, um, you know, J.J. Perry said it best to me a lot of times and to many other hmm. people. It's like, at the end of the day, we're playing pretend. And everybody deserves to go home. You know, like, it's not that serious. Yes, at times we're making art, but when when we're so tunnel-visioned in that idea, you know, it's like, well, then what are we making at this point? Because if we're just going to hate each other for X amount of months, then, then why? Why? We're not curing diseases. We're not fighting wars. You know, we're not trying right. to solve social issues. So, right. no, we're not, we're not as important as you think we are, you know? Right. So it's like, just remember that. Be a human and enjoy what you have and 
yeah, trust me, you get to work on things you wouldn't even dream of working on, you know, but right. right. Also, not everyone's going to work on an Oscar winning film and that's okay. Everyone's going to get their chance to, to I think you just, history for themselves. I think you just did. I think Harry Haft is, is absolutely going to be an Oscar, at least nominated film. And uh, I can't wait for you to be, uh, you know, part of the world that encapsulates in. Uh, hopefully so. You know, um, I think it was in Garrett's interview that you guys said, because I think you asked him about the, you know, stunts being recognized for Oscars and things like that. That's right. It's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of half and half on that. Cause I also heard Chad uh, recently say something too. Uh, actually, on the same, I think, live stream that I was discussing, he was saying, you know, yes, it's great. Yes, I think to a degree they should be recognized, you know, stunts. Because right. Absolutely, they're, they're an integral part of um, every department, you know, in a film. But right. on the other end of the spectrum, I think if we – honestly, I, this is true for every department. If we give away the sure. tricks too much, it, it defeats the purpose. now you're sounding now you're sounding like garrett yeah but at the same time it's like also what chad said which makes complete sense is yeah it is not always the stunt coordinator that does everything just like it's not always my coordinator right like it's not always the stunt double sometimes it's one or the other or all of the above you know it's it's so it varies so much my project and it's not because the stunt coordinator doesn't want to do the work. It's not because the right. stunt coordinator doesn't understand how to coordinate stunts. You know, the doubles don't know how to choreograph fights. It's, no, right. it's just what project are we doing? You know, you're a filmmaker yourself. Sometimes yeah. I'm sure you're very heavy-handed in things you really are passionate about. Sometimes you know right. you don't even have the time. you got to give it to somebody else to help you. That's you right. Know? And they might be giving you those ideas, which you're grateful for, but then who really gets the credit depending on how that works? Right, like right, sometimes right. It's, it's the lines are too blurred, and until you know, they, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I had I had to agree I had to agree with Garrett. You know, I, I do believe in Garrett with Garrett with and a lot of things. We we've been friends for a very long time. You know, but the the one thing that I do believe is that an Oscar is definitely going to go your way sooner or later, within the next five years, three years, or two years. And, you know, we need to organize on who is going to go to and what team teams it might go to. And if, if you were going to ask me, should Garrett get an Oscar or an Oscar nod for Logan, you're going to get a, a resounding yes. And whether he wants to hide or not, uh, he better get his ass up there and get that damn Oscar. Because that, that was, you know what I mean? Because that was an incredible film and it made me cry every single time. And I remember sending him videos and videos and videos of many videos that people would make based upon the action and the sentimentality and, and how it made them feel and what have you. And it really, it really makes people feel things. The things that you do yourself makes people feel things. And without you, these films, TV shows would never be made. Never be made. They need you for the one guy to trip, for the one guy to fly through the wall, for the one guy to do his one bit. Because he's too young, or he's not in shape, or it's just an insurance thing. There's not a show I can think of that doesn't need you. 
So why should you not get the credit for it? So that's always been kind of my thing. So I understand where he's coming from. I understand where you're coming from, you know, but I, I've got my own personal opinion where it's, eh, I, I, I don't agree with Brad Pitt getting an Oscar for being a sun coordinator w- without right. sun coordinators getting their own Oscars. That's just, that's just my right. thing, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to keep on fighting for you guys because you guys are great and, and I love what you do. Let me let me ask you before we get out of here. You know, what what do you what do you have to tell any young people coming up coming up the ring of the reason why people want to spend twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen hours a day with you? Because obviously people want to spend this much time with you. Why is that, and how could they learn from that? Um, <clears throat> I don't remember what I said last time all right don't, don't worry about what you said last time just, <laughs> just say something new it doesn't matter what you said last time let's say something brand new because you know it's important uh, you know for these people to understand because you know a lot of these guys want to come in cocky and i've seen so many stunt men you know just come up to me because they don't know who i am and they don't care just mm-hmm. so cocky and so full of life and so full of like, i'm 24 i can do a back 360 and I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what you can do. Like, what can you do? How can you contribute right. to a film? How do you add to a film? How do you make a director's vision come true? Why do people want to spend time with you? I mean, just because you can do all these moves doesn't mean a director wants to spend time with you. doesn't mean that other actors like you and, and are like, hey, I want to hang out with this guy. There's obviously something about you that people love, that people like, that people admire. There's several actresses that I've talked to that consider you their mentor. And, and you know who I'm talking about. And, and, and they, they admire you and they love you. And there's something about you that, that garners that trust, by the way, because there's not a lot of stunt women who garner that trust towards a man, by the way. I've been to the Tours Awards a hundred times, and there's not there's not a lot of men women would garner that trust with, and they garner that trust with you. And there's not a lot of people people would want to follow, and people want to follow you. There's not a lot of people people want to work with, and people want to work with you. What do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, you you pretty much said it in the sense. You know, it reminds me a lot of what the coordinators first told me. I remember when a coordinator from New York, the first thing he asked me was, do you really want to do stunts? And I was like, yes. And he repeated it maybe 10 more times to a point where I was like, I'm not understanding what you're telling me. And he's like, trust me, in five to 10 years, you will. And he was absolutely right. Because you go into this career having hopes and dreams, and they get crushed. Now, it doesn't mean throw your hopes and dreams away. It's just like we talked about at the beginning. You know, what are you going to do to be where you want to be? And if you're not there, what are you, A, doing enough of, and B, not doing enough of? You know, like you have to constantly see yourself from the outside and understand how to get there and how to be. But what I've seen over time is just be a person. You know, be a professional, but be a person first. And understand right. where people are coming from because everybody has a shit day. 
you're right. going to have shit days. Other people you work with are going to have shit days. Sometimes you, you both are going to have a shit day. It is what it is. But it's true. It's like, again, like what J.J. Perry told me, if you're going to be stuck with people for months on end hating each other, why take right. the job in the first place? And if you know you have to take the job, then the least you can do is show up to work and be a professional. You know, like leave your emotions at the door in the sense of, fine, if it's an issue, you know, discuss it. But like you said, if you're just going to predicate yourself on movement and fluff and things that in the end are going to degrade over time because right. everybody ages, what do you have to bring to the table besides the movement? Right. You know, what do you have to bring to the table besides you? What makes you you? So I would just tell people, yeah, it's like I have the heroes too that I want to emulate, but at the end of the day, I want to do it my way. So that's why I would tell people, don't be me. If you want to be the idea of me, sure, but do it your way. Go out there and, and figure it out your way. Right. You are in control of that. No one else is in control of that. No one else would do the work for you. If if you think you can make the best kung fu fight that nobody has ever seen, okay, but you have to do the legwork for that. No one is going to do that for you. You know what I mean? Right. The best fights, I feel, have come out of designers and artists that have taken the time to pursue that expression and then right. chose for it. So if you're not willing to take those chances and time to figure that out, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, right. I'm you. So I would, yeah, that's what I would tell people. Pursue it. You know, don't be afraid I, to do it. I, I've been mentoring for over 30 years, and if somebody were to ask me right now, through the martial arts, and if somebody were to ask me right now if I'm afraid, I would say, no, I'm not afraid. I'm a good person. I'm a just person. I'm not afraid of anything. What What is it about you that, you know, which is very different than other people that I've spoke to that continually wants to mentor people? Um. You know, it's not that honestly I want to mentor people because I have a child of my own. But, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> really saying, what I'm really saying is that it, I can only offer my experiences. I always right. tell everybody that what I say or what I do. Do you, feel, do you feel like people are drawn to you? Yeah, but again, like what I'm getting at is what I say to people is it's not that I was any different than you. I was you at some point, just like right. I was them at their stage in their life, somebody else was higher than me and would tell me the same right. You'll get right. there and then you're going to regret it, which I do. Right. Like what I say regret is because I think everyone, again, wants to come up and be the guy or the girl and all of a sudden they go, ah, the, the, the spotlight is too much. This is weird, you know? Right. Because, because it's too, they've been up more, they, they can chew and realize. But what I tell everybody is I think it's okay to to one, be yourself, but two, understand that your experience, my experience, everyone else's experiences are just that, experiences. They're not the way. It's whatever way works for you, but you have to figure out what that is. It doesn't right. mean you can't check in. It doesn't mean you can't ask questions. It just means don't blindly follow. I think everyone should ask a question. Everyone should check in right. with themselves, and that's okay to do and figure out, you know, but hey, if you, if you have the confidence to, to do whatever you want and, and push forward and not think twice about it, you know, again, kudos to you. There's nothing wrong with that either. It's right. all just 
it's in the eye of the beholder. So right. either way, it's it's in people to to choose their experience. But I always right. am very clear about um, my way is not the way. It's a way, and right. whatever little you learn from it, hopefully you can apply that to a better way. You know, like honestly, if anyone that I've mentored, inherently I would want them to be better than I am. Inherently, these people probably by happenstance of the work they put in, we're going to be competitors right. in a way, right? Rivals of some sort because they're in going some to way. come up. Yeah. You know, but that's normal. Or at least at least but peers. Of, yeah, but instead of closing that door, why not leave the door open because I could continually learn from them, right? That's the I guess right. the benefit of teaching and right. mentoring is that you learn both ends of the spectrum. You know, right. I'm learning from my elders as I'm learning from my juniors and my contemporaries, right? right? If right. I close the door on either of them, I'm doing myself a disservice. So right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any reason to do any of that or burn a bridge that doesn't need to be burned. Sure, Emmanuel. Thank you so much for this second interview. We we greatly appreciate it. And again, I very much apologize for taking you away from your family. Uh, please blame this whole thing on 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 me to your wife. Um, and and happy Mother's Day to her and and to your to your family to your mother as well. Um, we're, we're very happy to have had you on. We're very proud that you've succeeded this, thus far, and we only wish the best for you and want more things to be uh, great for you. In the meantime, you need to go back to your family. We need to let you go. Yes. So <laughs> we appreciate everything you've done for us, and thank you so much for being here today. Totally. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Thank you, my friend. Let's give you let's give you a clap track out, my friend. Okay. Have a great day, huh? Thank you. Too. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> See you, brother. Thank you to Emmanuel Manzanares for joining us today. You know, this was our second interview. I I didn't um fully enjoy our, our first interview. I didn't feel like we really touched everything I wanted to talk on. Um, something about it just didn't feel right. I'm going to be honest with you. So I, I wanted a second interview with him to, to make it right. I didn't feel like this great man, this man who's accomplished a lot, who sacrificed a lot for his field, got his best shot. There's a lot of people listening around the world, and uh, I really wanted him to get everything I wanted him to get, you know, for as kind as he was, as generous as he is, the family man, the lover, the carer, the mentor, the person he is. We all greatly appreciate that. We appreciate him coming on today, and we thank him on. Uh, the presence he brought to us and uh, to his wife happy mother's day you know it's it's our fault <laughs> sincerely that we took you away from your husband we apologize i thought this one was a really great interview and kind of capped it off 
kind of brought it to a conclusion. When you listen about his mother and his life, two younger brothers, his experiences with his family and his wife and meeting her in Chicago, them both going to LA together and getting married and having children together. It's a magnificent experience. It brings chills to your bones to know that somebody, thank God, somebody got the things that they wanted in life. Thank God, right? Haven't you ever wanted everything you wanted in life and never got it? Seems like Emmanuel got it. Emmanuel Manzanares got it all. Working with some of the greatest people in the world, stunt coordinators, actors, directors. He's touched it all. He's t- he's touched the sky. And now the heavens are, are are the limits right there. He's got plenty of time. What a great man. And thank you so much for joining us today. Emmanuel Manzanares, thank you for being our guest today. On Mother's Day, Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to your mother. And happy Mother's Day to your wife. We love them all. We give grace to them. And to all of you, thank you for listening in. Thank you for caring around the world, around the globe, from Russia to Canada to Peru to Chile to Italy. Thank you so much for listening to us today. We had Emmanuel Manzanares on here today. What a great stunt coordinator, great actor, great man, great father. He blessed us with his presence. I want you to remember, all of you, that right now is a moment of reflection. A moment where we're stuck in our rooms and forced to think about what we did. And forced to think about what we want to be. What do you want to be? Did you read that book? Did you write that book? Did you watch that movie? Did you write that movie? What do you want to be? Are you a better person? Are you a kinder person? This is the moment where you need to decide... The whole world's opening up soon. Make a change. Please make a change. If not for yourself, for the child that's within you. We can only get through this together. I love you all. This has been Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. 
God bless you all, and thank you very much for listening. Be well, and I'll see you next time.